being willing to ask questions and get to know people and, and be involved when really others weren't, it gave me a tremendous opportunity to get involved in a very meaningful way, uh, almost instantaneously. So I got involved with the County Historical Association and everything ranging from our small water system to historical boards to emergency medical services. Hello and welcome to episode 77 of Rural Matters. I'm your host, Michelle Rathman, and I also want to always thank you for carving out time in your schedule to listen to another conversation about the issues that help increase awareness, inform discussion, and we hope promote intelligent dialogue about all things facing rural stakeholders today. And there's a lot, as we know. I just want to also thank you because it's because of your support that we are now hovering over that 30,000 download mark. I cannot believe it. We're going to keep doing our best to compel you to come back for more of these insightful conversations. A uh, quick reminder, you can listen to Real Matters on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. And we highly encourage you to subscribe so that you can receive new episodes automatically. Now, Always, if you've got ideas, questions, or comments about the show, if you're interested to learn how to expand your rural reach, we ask you to email us at podcast, the number two day at gmail.com. That's podcasts today at gmail.com. Okay, we're going to get right into it because, you know, over the last several months, we've had some very weighty conversations, uh, much of them centered around, you know what, I'm never going to say it. Uh, don't panic. We'll touch on that a little bit more today. But before we hear uh, more about a little bit of COVID-19 intertwined into this story, I want to let you know that we're going to hear from an author who's written an interesting book on the perspective of living in rural. The title of the book is Think Small, Millennial's Guide to Building a Meaningful Life in Rural America. Uh, the aim of the book is to give readers in their 20s or in 30s a post-COVID roadmap for success where they least expect it, and that would be in rural America. The author of Think Small is Matthew Holan. Matthew works as the planning director for the Caswell County Planning Department in Yanceyville, North Carolina. He is a husband and father, like many millennials out there, including my children, but unlike many millennials, also like my children, he's a homeowner, they're homeowners, but he's paid off all his student loan debt, which is remarkable in today's times. Uh, Matthew was born and raised in Western North Carolina, and after college had set his sights on living in a trendy urban life in Asheville, North Carolina. But after several years there, he and his then fiance, now wife, which you'll hear about in just a little while, they decided to move to one of the most rural counties in the state, to their surprise, they've established the meaningful, sustainable, and affordable life they thought they would have by living in a bigger city. So with that, uh, Matthew reached out to Rural Matters, let us know about the book that he had and asked if we'd be interested. And I'm glad that he did because it's a real nice change of pace for what we've been discussing lately. So welcome, Matthew, to Rural Matters. Hey, Michelle, I'm glad that uh, we were able to connect. I'm a big fan of the podcast. I try to listen to every single episode, and it is an honor to be your guest. Oh, my goodness. That's so nice of you. Thank you. So before we get into the book, I read, you know, just kind of a little bit about your life before, but tell us about your life before you decided to move to rural and then write a book about your experience. Certainly, yeah. Well, so I actually grew up in a relatively rural area. I grew up in a uh, forest city, North Carolina, in Rutherford County. And for folks who aren't aware of uh, North Carolina geography, it's about halfway between the city of Charlotte and the city of Asheville. I uh, grew up there, went to school at Western Carolina University. And then after college, as you mentioned, I had set my sights on living in Asheville, North Carolina. 
which is a city of about 90,000, and it's in a metro area of about 400, 450,000. So, you know, by comparison, it's still a relatively small city, but it has a lot of the features of a large urban uh, metro area uh, that you find in bigger cities. And for me, especially as a young guy right out of college, it had the right culture that I was looking for. So it's a very kind of a trendy and a quirky kind of a town. It has world-class restaurants and more microbreweries per capita than just about any other uh, city out there. And so it has a lot of the trappings of, of a bigger city, even um, uh, some things that you find uh, in New York. And so I moved there after uh, college and I thought, you know, this is where I'm going to be. It's a, it's a great mountain town. It's a youthful energy and a really interesting culture. And this is really where I want to be. Uh, the greatest thing that ever happened to me, though, was I met my wife and um, she was from central North Carolina, the Greensboro area. And uh, we lived in Asheville together for a couple of years. But after she finished grad school, she really wanted to be closer to her family and closer to her family's farm. Well, they had left Greensboro um, uh, a few years earlier, and they found a farm in Caswell County, North Carolina. It's a very rural county and uh, has a lot of open and expansive land. So they bought a farm. They built a barn, and that's where they keep all of their horses. And so she says to me one day at lunch, I'd really like to move to Yanceyville, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And my first thought was, where? You know, where in the hell is Yanceyville, <laughs> North Carolina? I, I had known about it and we had visited everything, but I just could not envision myself uh, living there. So I kind of swallowed hard and I kind of prepared for a big cultural change. And we moved here. But as I talked about in the book, to our surprise, life has been wonderful. And I kind of detail all of those big um, uh, uh, historical markers in our life throughout the book. And then I convert that into a how-to guide for others to maybe make a similar move. Yeah. Well, before we get into the book, because I, I want to kind of walk through the chapters. They're very, it's very interesting how-to. I don't think I've actually seen, you know, this is not a how to move to a world for dummies. I mean, you actually are kind of laying out your story. But, you know, because of COVID, we know that so many folks coming from metropolitan areas are kind of seeking temporary solace in rural. I know plenty of people in you know the network that I have that said we're escaping to Montana in a cabin for a while but that's not what you're talking about so the first chapter of the book is how to move to the middle of nowhere um, give our listeners a preview of your advice on this front I mean what are those first steps from wanting to escape for a bit to moving your life permanently what are the first things that you did uh, to get you started on this journey that, that is an excellent question. Yeah, and it is quite different. It's not like, uh, you know, getting an Airbnb on some remote uh, cabin in Montana, as you mentioned, even though I would love that right about now. That sounds fantastic. They don't want you there, but, by the um, way. <laughs> Sorry, they don't, want, <laughs> they don't need any more cases. So. The, um, uh, you know, what I've said about that recently is, uh, as I've interviewed for the book and as I've talked to people, really, my life looked, uh, about five years ago, my life looked uh, very similar to how a lot of people's lives look today. Mm-hmm. So uh, before I got hired on as a, a planning and zoning director, I worked as a recruiter in the construction and development industry. And in recruiting, you're really on the phone all day. And as long as you have a high-speed internet connection and a phone and a computer, you can kind of do that job from anywhere. And so it wasn't a virus that necessitated that we move. But as I mentioned, it was a conversation with my fiance that she wanted to be closer to her family and that we were really consider- seriously considering moving to this uh, very small town. And so I found myself in a situation where I kind of had to think very tactfully about how to have this conversation with my boss. Mm-hmm. And I talk about in the book 
you know, approaching him after work and laying out what I thought was reasonable and kind of negotiating with him, setting up a remote office and what rent would look like and all that good stuff and kind of ensuring to him that, uh, that my, my sales basically would stay strong even through a move. And I think that's a, that's a situation a lot of people find themselves in today, especially as COVID has forced people to move home mm-hmm. or to work from home. You know, let's say you work in a high rise in New York City. Well, right now you're just kind of working in your apartment. And so my message would be taking the lessons that I learned there is, you know, if you're paying two or three thousand dollars a month for your high rise apartment, why not pay five hundred a month for a, a small town? You could keep your job. But the lessons that I kind of lay out in chapter one, quote unquote, moving to the middle of nowhere is how to really have that conversation and think about the externalities as you make that move uh, as well. So that was my conversation with my boss. And as I said, probably a very similar conversation five years ago to what a lot of people are having today. Yeah, that's a very interesting point. Listen, you know, I think. More than anything, this pandemic, I mean, there's a lot of things that we've learned, hopefully we have, is that it, th- we can work remotely and still be productive. And it's not for everybody, uh, to be sure. Yeah. So now you're in, you said it's a how-to book. So the next place we go is how to find, um, you know, a cheap place to find rent. Well, I think that right now there's a lot of spaces in rural communities where there are places to find a cheap place to rent, given the situation we're in. And I wonder if any of that you think has changed from even when you started out to do that. Uh, give us a little timeline about mm-hmm. what, when were you looking to find a place to rent in your new rural community? Sure. Yeah. So this was late. 2015 into early 2016, uh, we decided to make the move in summer of 2015 and then really started seriously looking uh, after that. Uh, The thing that we've experienced right away, which I think is still true in a lot of small towns and a lot of rural areas is, you know, the first thing that people do today when they look for real estate or even rental property or whatever is you go online. Mm -hmm. So when we started looking around online, the options were literally nothing. I mean, I, I remember looking on Craigslist uh, in late 2015, and there was like one house available for rent in all of Caswell County. And it was like a mobile home way deep in the woods. It looked like somebody had abandoned it several years ago. So mm-hmm. the, one of the first lessons we learned was just going online as we were used to was not a reliable method. And so we really had to hit the ground running and kind of use word of mouth to get in touch with the right people, make some phone calls, cold call people and look for signs and that sort of thing Hmm. um, in finding uh, places to rent. So there's a lot of networking, which led to finding my remote office uh, for rent, which turned out to be just an incredible uh, situation in the city of Danville, Virginia, which is right over the state line. And then a lot of word of mouth as well, which led to us finding a home to rent uh, here in town, which was close to uh, my wife's uh, parents and then close to the town of Yanceyville, where we live today. So then from there, you also talk about the fact that, you know, and there are so many, I think so many brides this, you know, this year that have had to alter their plans. And, um, you know, ladies out there, when you think about your your dream wedding, everyone's kind of taking to Pinterest um, and that industry, you know, before COVID was booming. And so you talk about how to, you know, you found the place to rent. Now you have to find and afford a, a Pinterest, in quote, worthy wedding. Tell us a little bit about that before we take a break. Certainly, yeah. So as I mentioned, my wife's family moved to Yanceyville a few years before we did. They settled on a uh, 90-acre farm 
in an old farmhouse that had been built uh, in the 1920s. And it had been abandoned for about seven or eight years before they moved in. So the property needed a ton of work. Uh, but we kind of looked around at a lot of different venues, and especially for the price, we kind of came to the conclusion that we'd be much better off if we just kind of worked on this property and kind of you know, fixed it up and arranged it in a way that would be accommodating for our wedding as opposed to um, as opposed to renting uh, somewhere else, especially in a larger city. So we rolled up our sleeves and every weekend for about a year, we got to work on the farm and we cut down trees and we created pathways and we've mm-hmm. kind of built out our own venue and just any number of things, a lot of which I talk about uh, in the book. Um, and we basically turned it into to our dream wedding. I have a few pictures from the wedding I saw there, on, of course uh, I had on my website. I wanted to see what the wedding so, looked like. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, it was, yeah, having the available space, a ton of hard work, you know, willing to put in the work ourselves, thinking creatively, relying on friends for photographs, uh, photography and videography, and hiring some food trucks out of Raleigh, North Carolina, which were uh, kind enough to drive up here for the day. Uh, just kind of a lot of hard work and a lot of creative thinking. And we were able to put a wedding together that at the end of the day was a half the cost of, um, of what you would expect to pay today. And uh, just for the, your listeners out there, just to kind of clarify, so my, my uh, as you've mentioned here, my title, my chapter titles are all how to, you know, whatever the case may be. It's all my life story. So mm-hmm. I talk about all the things that we've done over the last five years and then kind of fold those into a how-to guide uh, at the end of each chapter. And then there's a checklist in the back as well. And that's really what others can borrow from and and use uh, as their own guide as well. Yeah, including one last little topic here is how to buy a house for $39,000. And people might be, (laughs) oh, my gosh, you know, $39,000 is where you get. I saw the before and after photographs, you know, just the ones that you had. And so I think, you know, there is some really inspirational messaging here is that if you do some significant soul searching, really understand what it is you are looking for in terms of your lifestyle and your quality of life. When we come back, we'll talk about kind of the professional side of things and getting involved with the community. Um, but I think it's important to tell folks that, you know, for, why did you, why are you able to pay off your student loan debt and buy a house for $39,000? You must have been willing to, to maybe essentially kind of maybe not give up some things, but make some decisions about about not pursuing things that you no longer felt were meaningful in your life. Is that a fair assessment? Well, actually, I don't know if I would, uh, if I would put it that way. I think that we have definitely found more meaning uh, by being out here. I think we definitely have given up on some of the conveniences that people look to uh, when they live in a bigger city. So, you know, we don't have a ton of restaurant options. We don't have, you know, microbreweries and axe throwing bars and a lot of those other trendy things that you find in bigger cities. We do have them right up, kind of right up the road in Danville. Um, but we, you know, we've made a, a very uh, a deliberate decision to kind of hunker down and focus on what we think is most important. In the process, though, what's been great is we have saved a ton of money. I've been able to pay off my student loan debt. As I talk about in another chapter, we've been able to take multiple cross-country road trips, which have just been very uh, memorable and meaningful uh, trips and experiences as well. So, so it is a trade-off. I think anybody who's seriously willing to take uh, the advice in my book uh, to heart, they've got to think very seriously about their trade-offs, and then they've got to be willing to kind of roll up their sleeves and do a fair amount of hard work uh, as well. That's right. Well, thank you for that. We'll be right back. Just don't go anywhere. We're going to complete this really interesting conversation about how you can basically move to the middle of nowhere and have a dream life. I think it's so fascinating. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
Rural Matters is proud to collaborate with organizations such as the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, the Duke Endowment, and Thomas USAF, bringing you multi-part series on such topics as rural poverty solutions, how rural churches are working to serve communities beyond their walls, as well as opportunities for rural community and economic development. In the weeks ahead, we've got a new series coming your way focused on rural higher education. And of course, we hope you'll subscribe so that you won't miss a single episode. If your foundation or organization is interested in collaborating with us on a special series, or if you'd like to learn more about how Rural Matters podcast can help you expand your rural reach, be it regionally or nationally, we invite you to connect with us. You can email us at podcasttoday at gmail.com. That's podcast, plural, the number two day at gmail.com. Or send us a direct message on Twitter at Rural Matters Pod. We know why rural matters to you. Together, let's use this platform to amplify why rural must matter to all. Now let's get back to our discussion. Okay, we are back talking with Matthew Hoagland, who wrote a, a really wonderful book, uh, that inspires millennials and those kind of seeking a different way of life to move out to the middle of nowhere. And so we just got done kind of talking about how you have a wedding, how you buy a house for $39,000, how to find a place, a cheap place uh, to rent. But one of the things I want to really touch on in the chapter spoke to me was how to build a meaningful life in rural America. And it's not just for yourself. I think one of the things that I was interested in is that your your pursuit of becoming involved with the community in a meaningful way. And that's, you know, that that's not just, uh, that's not selfless, selfish, it's selfless because you really kind of dove in and talk a little bit about the first time you walked into a county commission meeting and kind of the feeling that you got. I love the way you describe it. Describe that for our listeners. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So, I've always kind of described myself as a political nerd. I'm always keeping an eye on the news and watching C-SPAN and going to public meetings and things of that nature. So it's early 2016, and uh, we have moved from Asheville to this new quiet little town. And I thought, well, first thing I want to do is kind of get to know the local political landscape. And so I go to an early uh, county commission meeting, I think in the spring of 2016. And I walked in not really knowing to what to expect, but Coming from Asheville, where you have uh, a very active and kind of vibrant political landscape, uh, you've got people at public meetings, it's standing room only, and they're yelling into the microphone, and they're bringing their own signs, and they're really ruckus when they when they come to meetings. I went to our first county commission meeting, and I, there was literally about four or five mm -hmm. people in the audience, mm -hmm. and I was one of them. And so I walk in there, and it's an old historic courthouse that was built right before the, the uh, Civil War. So I walk in, I think the door, the big oak door kind of slammed behind me. And everybody looks back and sees this relatively younger guy walk in and nobody recognizes him. And I felt like the newcomer in the old Wild West saloon, you know, walking in uh, to the bar uh, for the first time. <laughs> and, uh, mm -hmm. Everybody kind of checked me out for a second and then went back uh, about their business. But it was a bit of a culture shock. I, I, I show up and I'm thinking, my gosh, I mean, this can't be what's normal. You know, I, I'm new to town, but um, I'm one of only four or five people at this public mm -hmm. meeting. And very, uh, I don't even really typical. remember. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I don't even really remember what was on the agenda, but it was uh, that was the most striking thing. So I went home and started to do a little research and I thought, OK, well, maybe I just caught a meeting where there wasn't a lot going on. 
But even our local paper wasn't really covering uh, local politics. They had more stories about an office cat that was kind of their unofficial office mascot um, in the newspaper. Uh, but the good thing about it was by showing up and by really being willing to ask questions and get to know people and, and be involved when really others weren't, it gave me a tremendous opportunity to get involved in a very meaningful way uh, almost instantaneously. So I got involved with the County Historical Association and a couple of boards and commissions with the county uh, and everything ranging from our small uh, water system to historical boards to emergency medical services and everything under the sun. And that that uh, resulted in a great relationship with our county manager yeah, and a great me, relationship with our county manager. Let, let me stop yeah. you right there, Matthew, because I know I can hear the energy in your voice because I know where this is leading. I will just say, you know, <laughs> I, I work with a lot of uh, county, municipal uh, hospitals, county-owned hospitals, and I've spent my fair share of time in, you know, county commission meetings and whatnot. And to your point, uh, you know, I think one of the things that th this is a lesson in opportunity for younger people. And I will tell you, from a county commission, from a city planner perspective, having younger people volunteer, correct? I mean, the committees, all these meetings that you're talking about, historical society and whatnot, these are, these are all just volunteering your time. And so before you kind yeah. of go into how you found your place, your professional place, what did that do for you? What, how did it fulfill something that you were looking for in your life? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and you're right. It was all volunteer. Um, and, and for me personally, you know, it's just very fulfilling uh, and, and just meaningful to be involved in the community. I mean, it's one thing to be a, a citizen of your community and pay your taxes and, and, you know, go meet your friends at the local restaurant every once in a while. But I think getting involved and in actually helping to craft policy and helping to guide the direction of boards and commissions and nonprofits and things of that nature, that's truly how you leave a mark. And I think um, in my generation in particular, millennials, uh, which are typically folks born between about 1980 and, and 1995 or 1996, somewhere in there, it's kind of a cultural touchstone of ours that we want to be a part of meaningful experiences. And we want to have a job where instead of just kind of showing up and punching a clock and, and collecting a paycheck and some good uh, benefits, we want our job and things that we do to, to genuinely make a difference on our community and, and, and possibly even the, the state uh, or the world. So, you know, it's just very, I think it's very natural for my generation, but it was very important to me personally to get involved and truly help to shape and make a difference in this new community. And, you know, that was one thing that we had to seriously consider when we moved here too is, if we're going to move here, we're going to set up roots and we're going to buy a house. We're going to do all these things. You know, we're really committing ourselves for the long haul. And so why not get started now with really having that type of an impact? Because you know, as we have kids and, and we mm -hmm. grow and retire here, these, these decisions are going to have an impact for our lives for you know, possibly decades to come. Right. And the opportunities in a community the size that you're in are far greater than, you know, say a suburban yeah. area where there's a lot of, you know, clamoring to, you know, to just, you know, fill the seats. There's a lot of competition to do that. And I will say again, you know, I think about this to all of our listeners. If you are a younger person in a rural community today, to think about reaching out and becoming a part of your civic conversations, being on committees and whatnot, because at the end of the day, people are retiring, they're leaving these posts, and we need to have 
have this refresh. So that's kind of my soapbox. Uh, so now we're going to continue there. Now, uh, <laughs> absolutely, I agree with you. Absolutely. And all this great work and getting that experience, it led you to then becoming um, the city planner, a position you really didn't have a clue what it entailed. <laughs> Certainly, yeah. Well, the title of that chapter, chapter six, is how to land a county planner job with no experience. Mm -hmm. And I say that a little bit tongue in cheek because, you know, I had some experience. And as I mentioned, I worked in recruiting in the uh, uh, development and construction industry. And so that kind of gave me a pretty good secondhand knowledge of how zoning and land development and construction processes work and things of that nature. Uh, my boss uh, for that company was also a member of the North Carolina General Assembly. And so I would talk with him pretty frequently about how state law affected local law and what counties and towns are allowed to do and how that interacts with state law and things of that nature. But, you know, perhaps most importantly, it was that local involvement and being willing to kind of show up and, and roll up my sleeves and get involved that I think led me to the opportunity. So I think it was a confluence of all of those things. And it was the right time, the right scenario, the right location and all of those things. And. Um, uh, just to clarify, too, a lot of people have asked me since I took the job, my degree is actually in communication and public relations. Mm. Uh, my minor is in political science, but I did not graduate with a degree in planning and zoning. It was, a, it was again, a confluence of these circumstances uh, that led me to it. And you know, I think kind of slowly uh, building the trust and confidence of local leadership and kind of demonstrating the, the experience that I did have, which then led me uh, to that, uh, to the job. But if I might say one more thing about that, again, going back to how millennials uh, crave uh, a, a profession, an occupation that allows them to shape uh, their their community. Since getting involved, I've launched an initiative for broadband expansion, for Excellent. cell tower communication expansion. Excellent. We're currently working on, you know, different ordinance policy and different zoning policy uh, for the county as well. So. I've had the job for a little over two years now, but already am, am able to be a part of crafting very meaningful reforms that will, again, have an impact for the county for, for generations to come. I see bigger things for you, Matthew. <laughs> say that. Hey, well, well, the biggest, the biggest thing now is that I think it's just a lesson that others can emulate. And as you mentioned, the, the opportunities are vast in rural areas. You know, you try to do something similar in a big city and they're going to go, OK, great. Start out as an intern. You do something in a small town and they're going to say within a couple of years, we want you to be in charge. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, so so I think the opportunity is absolutely there for other folks. Yeah, that my it's age. a responsibility not to be taken lightly because we know that, you know, our rural communities, you know, some need major you know, revitalization. Others just need new leadership, new ideas. And I think what you're doing is excellent. Before we close out, a couple more questions for you. Um, real quickly, yeah. you know, we kind of talked about them in this conversation, but what are the benefits, kind of the, the highlight benefits that you can offer to millennials uh, contemplating moving to a small town? Just do a tick sheet for me really quick. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, speaking of a tick sheet, so I do have checklists in the back mm -hmm. of the book that kind of correspond with um, uh, with all of the chapters. So. Uh, biggest thing is going to be as uh, simple as it sounds, just doing some research about internet connectivity in a, in a small town in which you have your eyes on. You know, create a list. Do you want to live in the Mountain West? Do you want to live near a lake? Do you want to live near a beach? I think right now with the virus and with uh, technology, opportunities are pretty much limitless for where people want to live uh, almost anywhere in the country. So start with a broad net and then kind of work your way down. You know, do some research into the cultural 
makeup of your small town. There's a small town in Virginia, Floyd, Virginia, which is only a town of maybe uh, um, uh, 450, 500 people. It has a very kind of quirky bohemian culture, you know. So even if you want that type of culture and lifestyle, it is available in very small towns. So I would encourage you to do that, uh, do that research. Same thing with real estate, whether you're going to buy commercial to start your own business or, or move your business or buy a home or any number of things. Just a lot of research uh, up front uh, is really going to be uh, the key thing. Yeah, and I'm just going to add, I don't know if this is on your list. I didn't happen to catch that, but I also think it's important to really understand the availability of healthcare uh, in your in the area mm. and how far away you might have to travel for that. And I have to I have to put that in there because I think it's an, an important yeah. thing to say as well. So the last question I have for you is, uh, you know, uh, what kind of data are you seeing about millennials? Uh, where are you getting some data about millennials moving from big cities to small towns or rural areas? Do you have anything that you can offer on that front? I have, yeah. So in chapter seven of the book, I talk about um, a few uh, uh, data points in there. One Wall Street Journal article that I referenced, which was actually back in 2018, so long before the pandemic, showed that uh, collectively cities in the U.S. uh, over a population of, I think, about 500,000 lost somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 to 35,000 millennials. Uh, just in the year uh, Mm -hmm. 2018. And that was the fourth or fifth consecutive year where you had seen numbers like that Mm -hmm. uh, leaving bigger cities. I haven't seen uh, data as concrete um, since the pandemic set in, but I have seen some data on uh, real estate uh, queries. And I've seen where uh, real estate searches for small towns and rural communities have spiked some like 80 to 100 percent in the month of April, uh, for example. Whereas real estate searches in bigger cities have gone down some, you know, 15 or 20 percent. And I've also seen a lot of data about wealthy people being able to leave cities in the wake of the pandemic or just kind of move out to second homes. I haven't seen as much data about millennials and middle class folks uh, out there. So my appeal to them would be it is possible, even if they don't think it's possible. And uh, I might humbly suggest my book as guidance uh, for them to do that, because I think just kind of by providing that example, even though my situation was different, we made our move several years ago. I think just by providing the example, it'll tell others in a similar situation that it is possible and give them kind of a guide on how to get started. Well, my goodness, for, for a guy who wrote a book called Think Small, Matthew Hoagland, you've got some really big ideas. It's really been a pleasure <laughs> to talk with you. And uh, we, you know, wish you, con- I wish you continued success. And I'm glad that you had an opportunity to tell your story. Congratulations on the book. If anyone is interested in learning more, my website is howtothinksmall.com. All right. Thank you for that. So at this point, we wish to acknowledge and thank our Rural Matters marketing partners, and they are the Center for Rural Affairs, Community Hospital Corporation, Foundation for Rural Service, the Journal of Research and Rural Education, Learning Blade, NTCA, that's the Rural Broadband Association, the National Rural Education Association, the National Rural Health Association, and Ohio Small and Rural Collaborative, as well as AASA, that's the School Superintendents Association, and the National Rural Assembly, the National Grange, and NOSOR, which is the National Organization of State Offices of Rural Health. Don't forget to mark your calendar for November 19th, which is National Rural Health Day. It's the 10th annual, so 
some really things, uh, special things happening there that you'll hear more about in future podcasts. Now, if you would like more information on the real issues that we talked about today, if you have a guest or a topic you'd like to suggest, as I said early on, just email us at podcasttoday at gmail, or you can direct messages on Twitter at Real Matters Pod. Certainly, we'd appreciate if you'd follow them or us on the podcast and me as well at MRB Impact. Uh, Real Matters is produced by Michael Levin Epstein. I thank him for all his contributions. I thank you for listening and we'll talk to you again next time on Rural Matters. Mm-hmm.